Shalom, this is Rabbi Thomas Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you uh, a series of uh, teachings on the separation of Christianity from Judaism. Uh, there are five lessons in all, and I hope to uh, record them in close proximity, lest you forget the information from the previous uh, lesson. Uh, this is part one, Judaism and the law. So starting this week, uh, I'm hoping to bring these classes to you, these lectures to you, so that you can uh, gain more information on what has actually happened, how Christianity was separated from Judaism. So um, I'm hoping to put to rest once and for all the controversy surrounding the quote-unquote law, Christianity, and Judaism as it affects our relationship with Hashem and each other. So my first message is not an attempt to give a theological estimate of the relative merits of Judaism and Christianity. I hope to shed light on the clash of the two religious organizations and indirectly the conflict of theological differences. All of my material can be found in historical books, church history, and the archives of the Catholic Church. To accept anything less than the truth leaves a broad avenue that leads to destruction. I see people turn away every day because of their inability to receive the truth. This is not an indictment of their mental or spiritual well-being, but generally because of their acculturated acceptance of erroneous teachings that one ever takes the time to check for veracity. I'm constantly amazed how lackadaisical people are about their salvation. It doesn't start and end with those that sit in the congregation, preachers and rabbis, yeshivas and seminaries, keep repeating and passing on errors passed on to them for generations without question or substantiation of, by God's word. And I praise God that I was led to be a skeptic and to search out the truth for myself and not accept without examination anything taught to me either in Judaism, Judaism or Christianity. My guidebook was the Bible and God's word, and it should be yours as well. And let me qualify my position by saying that I do hold a doctorate in theology, a master's in biblical studies, and I did go to both uh, yeshiva and I went to a Christian seminary, so I, I feel that I'm well qualified to give both sides of uh, what is going on here uh, and not a biased opinion. So let me start first by making the seemingly astonishing statement that in the main it is not the Christian doctrine of the last 1500 years that's caused friction between Jews and non-Jews, but the Christian church. False racial theories have been substituted for false readings from the Old and New Testament, more correctly called the Brit Kaddishah, the refreshed, renewed covenant. And from this uh, bima, I have often addressed false and unscriptural teachings of both Jews and Christians, attacking error wherever I find it, by and large, it seems to me that Christians are less willing to examine their own teachings and apply the truth of the Bible against it as the only barometer for determining credibility and living according to God's will. Judaism, on the other hand, because of persecution rendered in the name of Christianity, will not give any attention to the teachings of Yeshua or his claims. To understand the origin of this conflict, we have to pursue two lines of inquiry simultaneously. They're the historical development of these events and the literature in which those events were recorded. First, we should know that much of what is traditional Judaism comes from medieval Jewry and not from the time of Yeshua. 
Christianity, on the other hand, was taken over after the progressive expulsion of the Jews by 200 AD and paganized by political interests in the Roman Church in 325 AD. Second, we can take any event recorded in the Gospel of Matthew as occurring in the first month of Yeshua's ministry, and then we need to be considered when the Gospel was written as much as the time to which the event was ascribed. Here we have obvious contradictions as to the groups within Judaism as represented. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's now the Pharisees, now the scribes, now another party which is described. In the fourth gospel, John, all are included together under the general description, quote, unquote, the Jews. And all are considered equally to be, and always have been, the enemies of the new teaching. How so? When all the first believers but a handful who were God-fearers were Jews. When in the beginning believers were considered just as another sect of Judaism. By the way, the faith system of Yeshua as taught to his disciples was Messianic Judaism. In the beginning, believers were considered not just another sect of Judaism. It's because the Gospels, which have now been known to have first been written in Hebrew and later replaced by the Greek versions, we now know as the so-called New Testament, again, more correctly rendered the refreshed, renewed covenant, a name that, by the way, coined from the Latin Vulgate, that's the New Testament, were destroyed or hidden by the church because they did not tally with the official church line to gentilize the church and demonize the Jews. There are many extant writing testifying to their existence, but recently a copy of one of these original Hebrew versions was found in the Vatican archives. So I ask Christians, when I point out some error in your teachings, remember it was the first church who, who denigrated the Jew as a whole class and seemingly forever, failing to recognize that all the early leaders, teachers, writers, believers, and even Yeshua were Jewish. By the way, Yeshua is still a Jew. It's not possible historically to trace this antagonism of the Christian to the Jew exclusively to the fact of the crucifixion. Historically, this was a political act carried out by the Romans and a convert Gentile king along with temple leaders who did not have the legal right to their positions, but who had their jobs only by favor of the Roman occupiers who were their sponsors and guardians. <laughs> sounds familiar today, doesn't it? To come to a clear understanding, what we really have to recognize is that the profound differences which exist between Judaism and Christianity is essentially the teachings of Yeshua and their interpretations by a Gentilized church. It's not a matter of dispute that he lived as a Jew and died as a Jew, though you'd be hard-pressed to find a Christian who really has this sense of his identity. He was not a Christian, and he did not teach Christianity. I might also add that Yeshua was very observant, an observant Jew, to the extent that historically he was referred to by his followers as HaTorah, the instructions. Nor was he ever criticized by his opponents as having abandoned the practice of Torah, which includes following God's designated times and following the dietary laws and the law of Shabbat as the seventh day and not Sunday as changed by the Catholic Church. I like to call Yeshua a super Jew who lived according to Torah 
and acted like and was indistinguishable from every other Jew of that time except for his obvious godly righteousness, a fact that seems to be lost on our Christian friends. What we have to know indisputably is the nature of the conflicts he had with other Jewish teachers of his day, what he denounced and what he upheld. Further, we have to know what has been colored by later redactors and what belongs to the period of transcriptions in all the translations hounded down to us over these last 1,500 years. We have to know that Yeshua actually denounced, and to distinguish this from the coloring that belongs to the period of transcription rather than the period of occurrence. I have in my own way endeavored to impart this to you, <clears throat> Jew and Gentile equally, since the time I have been in this bima, or teaching as a rabbi, to some success and to some offense. Albert Einstein wrote, once wrote, quote, great spirits have often encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds, unquote. And this was the case with Yeshua. I in no way place myself in the foregoing category, but I humbly avow that I have had great opposition from what I teach because it offends people who don't want their comfort zone disturbed. I don't care about your ego and your emotion. I care about your soul. There are people who want to blindly go on in their ignorance and not really care about what God requires, but rely on what's been taught to them for centuries from a corrupt religious system, be it Jewish, Jewish or Gentile. They will not search their souls, listen to their conscience, mend their lifestyles, or even search the scriptures to assure themselves of their salvation, which, by the way, has not occurred yet. We will not know if we're going to be saved until we stand before Yahweh Yeshua. Usually they will seek out some of like-mindedness to assure him or her that they have the truth, the blind leading the blind. Though they become offended by this teaching, I can tell you I addressed myself to error itself, whether it's in Judaism or in Christianity, and not to personalities. Only Yahweh Elohim's and Yeshua's teachings have been my guidepost. And I can tell you, Yahweh and Yeshua speak as one because they are one. Yeshua called Jesus erroneously in Christianity. They are both God. They are one God, a complex unity. There's no contradiction. And if you see a contradiction between their teachings, you are in trouble theologically. If you do not see Yahweh Elohim's Torah and the living Torah as one, you're on slippery theological ground. You're in contradiction to Scripture. Check John chapter 14. Read the Bible and see for yourself. Isn't your soul at least worth that much? You know, I would rather err on the side of caution and follow Yahweh Yeshua, even if it turned out that I was going to die and rot in the ground like earthworms or anything else, rather than going against God's Torah, choosing my own value system of what I consider right, and then being wrong. Now back to the scriptures. In view of the fact that the Pharisees and therefore post-Christian Judaism are universally judged by Christians on the basis of the 23rd chapter of Matthew and Shaul or Paul's epistle to the Romans, it's essential to inquire into the scope and causes of this opposition. Thanks to researchers of modern-day scholars, we can assess Judaism for the, of the first century and that of a hundred years later, and with sufficient accuracy that there was no profound difference between Judaism and what has come to be known now 
as Christianity during the period of 200 years after Yeshua's execution. So we have to arrive at a conclusion that the language in the so-called New Testament has been redacted by later generations to reflect the anti-bias and anti-Semitism now so evident in the book. A little effort will reveal to you much extra biblical evidence to support this conclusion without controversy by any learned person. Take this into consideration on a purely rational basis. Most Christians believe that Yeshua, a man of solemnic wisdom, actually the wisdom of God, would dismiss the whole of Pharisaic Judaism as simply hypocrisy. This is to attribute to him impossible superficiality. He was anything but that. He himself was closer to the Pharisaic tradition as was Paul than not. He denounced the false teachings of the oral law when it contradicted God's law. If I could teach one thing to Gentiles, to Christians, is that what Paul and Yeshua were talking about is the traditions of men and a law that should not be uh, followed or thought of God's Torah is the oral law, not God's law. There is a huge difference. God never did away with his own laws. He denounced the false teachings of the oral law when it contradicted God's law. If they were both the same, how could I even make that statement? If it had not been for the work of the Pharisees, Judaism would not have survived until Yeshua's time. We also have to recognize that many of his early followers were Pharisees, as well as the most famous Paul, who says, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was converted to Messianic Judaism, not Christianity. The Pharisees had saved Judaism, but the externally and internally troubled centuries which followed Ezra made its development very difficult, and since it was intricately involved with contemporary political and social questions, the result by the time of Yeshua's Pharisaic Judaism was a mass of ill adjustments. Fanaticism, meticulous insistence on detail, and narrow-mindedness are not the prerogative of Pharisees, however but are to be found in any intensely religious group with its back to the wall as was Judaism during these years. The Pharisees, like many Christian religious groups of later years, Scottish uh, Covenanters um, and some modern-day counterparts, considered that their meticulous insistence upon certain acts and belief was, in the condition in which they were living, essential to the development of the true mission of Israel the worship of God according to Torah. The Pharisees with their teachers everywhere, the political and priestly leaders of the nation wanted the whole of Israel to know Torah, for only in doing so would Israel be fulfilling its mission before God. In this zeal for Torah lay the groundwork for abuse. It might also be noted in contrast to the Greek philosophers, whose Hellenistic concepts later infused Christianity and who built their ideal city on slave labor are less attractive than the Pharisees who were completely democratic. Many of the most famous rabbis of Yeshua's period and earlier were artisans, and Yeshua as a carpenter would not have inspired them to any contempt. It would not have been even a roused comment that he had followed a trade. Some say he was uh, a mason. And I don't mean a mason in the context of today, I mean stone worker. Now we have to consider 
the word Torah translated quote-unquote law in our English Bibles is imperfectly translated as I've said before. To the Jew, Torah has a far richer meaning, like Shalom does. Torah does not in any way imply a slavish following of a written document, even if the document has final authority. However, it is near the truth to say that Yeshua is to the Christian is what Torah is to the Jew, but the rub comes when Christians do not comprehend that Yeshua is the living Torah, and the other side of the coin is that Jews do not comprehend who Yeshua is in reality. Torah can also, in the Jewish economy, and should be in the Christian community as well, be spoken of as an incarnation of the divine, for it expresses the whole of divine will for and through man. In Yeshua, Torah was incarnated so that he became Torah, the living Torah. He taught mankind how to live the letter of the law with the spirit of the law. You cannot separate grace and law. You cannot throw the law away. You cannot throw the grace away. Yeshua walked that middle line that incorporated both in everything that he did. Continued for more than... The Torah contained for more than a mere precept of laws, although even the precepts, by being divine ordinances, brought men to God in the performance of them. To the Jew, then, having many more precepts was not a burden. It only gave man so many more opportunities for doing expressly his will, and even if the precepts seemed trivial, it was not for man to judge the importance of what God had ordained. The task of the scribes was to study the written law, which of itself was not easy to understand in changing conditions, and to know the interpretation, so that in everything which man did he might please God. The written law was the basis of Torah, but Torah is expressed in the oral law was the interpretation of how it was to be applied in everyday life. Without exception, the rabbis built hedges around the written Torah in a misguided effort to build fences that would protect the integrity of God's Torah until the oral Torah became more important than God's word upon which it was based, even erroneously at times. This Torah in Christian language would have been defined as redemptive. The scribes who interpreted the Torah were not necessarily priests, but laymen set apart because of their knowledge of Torah and the guidance of precedence, if you will, which previous interpreters had found in it. In times of crisis, it was the tendency to interpret the written and oral law more strictly and to increase the wall of legalistic observance that separated Jew and Gentile. True believers in Messianic Judaism are not living under the law. We follow the laws commanded by God out of love for his Torah and love for him. So, Christians saw no spiritual reason for doing certain acts and no longer accepted the Torah as binding, for it seems mere hypocrisy or legalism to insist upon following God's instructions with their theology of grace only. To those who see in quote-unquote the law merely quote-unquote the letter, it's natural to call it dead and powerless. If we're to understand the conflict between Judaism and Christianity, 
it's no longer justified to go only to Christian sources to understand Judaism or go only to Jewish sources to understand Christianity. Even those Christians who have examined the attitude of Christians to Judaism still tend to see between the two religions a gulf that is unbridgeable. But this opposition is only true upon the assumptions of certain Protestant interpretations of Christianity. Christians think that in Judaism the extreme authority is Torah, not differing between God's Torah and the oral Torah because they don't know the difference. And in Christianity the supreme authority is the immediate intuition of God in the individual's soul and conscience. That's very dangerous ground because secular humanism is based on the same thing without a deity. Whatever is right for you is right. And you can change that whatever is right for you today, tomorrow, the next 30 seconds. And you see what we have as a result of that secularism. We have lawlessness and chaos, which is continuing to get worse and will get worse until the deity, the authority, returns. They are equating the difference as the one Torah being represented by the Pharisee and the other by Yeshua. While in truth, the written Torah and the living Torah are one and the same. As I said, Yeshua, Yahweh Yeshua, is one. Check again, John chapter 14. I am in him, he is in me. He talks about his Messiahship there, that he is God. He's simply uh, exercising different roles for the oneness of himself. Much as you may be a wife, uh, a daughter, a sister, a lover, a student, if you are female, and if you're a man, a husband, a son, uh, a father, a student, whatever. You don't split yourselves into part parts as the doctrine of the Trinity shows. They're not three in one. You are not multiple roles in you are not multiple roles in one. You are one person, one individual that can manifest these roles depending on what you need to do at the time. So it is with Yahweh Yeshua. As to Yeshua's stand on the Torah, we know that he attacked some elements of the Pharisees and scribes because they seemed to him to obscure that direct relationship between man and God by falsifying the nature of God's Torah through the oral Torah. This is a fundamental point. But Christians seem to never understand that Yeshua never rejected God's Torah because he is God. If you don't learn anything from this lesson, learn that. He is God and his commands never change. There's a Christian song, Oh, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Do you really believe that? If he's the same, then you know that he doesn't change. And his name isn't Jesus, it's Yahshua, God saves. All right. Christians seem to never understand that Yeshua never rejected God's Torah, just the contrary. Now let me close this message by leaving you with this thought. It was Yeshua's Gentile followers more than a century later who, seeing in Torah only a body of prescriptions and saw in Judaism only the observance of a dead law that they proclaimed in the paganized name of Jesus that he had rejected Torah. They had absolutely no basis, in fact, upon which to hang their pronouncement. So in the next lesson, we'll take up the teaching of Yeshua and Mark and let Scripture again speak for itself.
Shalom, shalom.